Hey, Forge family. God bless you today. Thank you for hanging in with me this last Sunday as we went through 22 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, we followed that arc of the seed that passes through the lines of, of the descendants of Eve all the way through to Isaac. If you recall, we, we started at the fall where, where the Lord said the seed of the woman was going to uh, crush the head of the serpent. And so we followed that seed, and then the second theme was the land. And why was that important to the promises that God made? And thirdly, God's faithfulness. When he made a promise, he kept that promise. And, and then uh, fourthly, uh, God's rule. God begins to install his rule on earth through the descendants uh, of, the, of the seed of the woman. We also looked at the tool that I suggested that you use because sometimes when you get face to face with a passage in the Old Testament, it's bloody. It's it's just awful stuff. It's history. It's real. But you go, what does this have to do with God? And you go, ah, close the book. Let me suggest to you, you do you use the zoom tool, which was you zoom in to get a sense of what is God doing right here with this family, with this person. How is he being faithful? And then all of a sudden you run into one of those yeah passages and you zoom out. You pull back and you say, Lord, I don't understand that. But look, here you've been faithful and then you were next you were faithful and next you were faithful and you made more promises and I'm up to date so I know you're going somewhere. You're being faithful. And so maybe I'm done looking at this today, but I know with certainty that you are being faithful because I have a bigger picture when I zoom out. We also looked at the conflicts and contrasts that start in Genesis. And the big one, obviously, is God makes promises and he keeps them. God hears prayer and he answers prayer. Then God intervenes and God blesses. In contrast to that, you have a fallen, cursed, created being, Satan who is our enemy as well. And he is set on stopping the seed. He wants the seed to just cease, stop. He wants to disqualify those who, who bear that seed in them. And he wants to destroy it. He wants to just make sure it is wiped off the face of the earth. In that, in that account, those accounts come again and again and again through scripture. Now, I have a sense of urgency. As I begin this podcast series, the Old Testament accounts that we're going to look at, are I want us to learn how to receive and keep our blessings and be blessings to other people. And the enemy is dead set against that. And so we're going to try and talk through how do we do that? How do we keep our blessings? How do we pass them on to others? And so it begins. Lord Jesus, we ask you now as we look at this series on the life of Jacob, the last 25 chapters of the book of Genesis, would you put down a root, Lord, so that we receive it and we, we apply it and it's down inside of us. And that same root, Lord, is one that will be ready to reproduce that biblical principle, that wonderful story, that hope in God's faithfulness into someone else. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this scene begins in Genesis 25. 
We're dealing with Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham. His daddy was Isaac. Okay? So, in that chapter, it says, Abraham, who's 175 years old, he dies. And he's buried with Sarah, his wife, next to her in the double cave, probably, on the plot of land that Abraham purchased. It's the only piece of the land that he owns in his life. It was a burial plot. It was called Machpelah. And immediately after that statement where, where Isaac and Ishmael come to bury their father, the text says, God blesses Isaac. Right away. You know, you, you've, you've set the past behind you, and right now today, Isaac, I bless you. And at that time, Isaac was living at Bir Lahai Roy, which is, it is a well. It was a well, and the, the title means, Well of the Living One Who Sees Me. And this was the place where the servant of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, or perhaps Christ incarnate, you know, this theophany, appears to Hagar, who has been driven out of the camp. She's pregnant by Abraham. She's the new wife. But she kind of went, nye, 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 to Sarah. And Sarah had it, just had it. And Abraham said, she's your servant, you deal with her. And Sarah beats her up and drives her out of the camp. And she's outside weeping. She's out in the wilderness. And, and here is the angel of the Lord who says, Hagar, what are you doing here? How did you come to be in this place? And, and then he turns and says, your son will be Ishmael. And he's going to be a wild guy. Every hand will be against him, and his own hand will be against everyone else. But you go back, you serve Sarah, your mistress. And then the Lord, there's a flowing, you know, there's this well right there. And she's refreshed, and she names that place. This is the well of the God who sees me. That's where Isaac and Rebekah are having their honeymoon. That's where they live. How, what would it be like to get up in the morning and go draw, draw, draw water in the morning and draw water in the evening to say, oh, this is the well of the God who sees me. He is present to this. Now, 40 years pass on this extended honeymoon, and Rebecca is barren. So we're reminded, again, the seed and the passing of the seed isn't accomplished by mankind. Man's wishes, man's actions, etc. It really does take God to intervene. And that's what Isaac asks for. He goes and, and, and pleads for his wife that she would conceive, and she does. God hears his prayers, and Rebekah conceives. But in her, in her womb, there's something bad happening in her womb, and she's just perplexed. And this is the first recorded statement in the scriptures where a woman goes direct to God and inquires of him and prays and says, what is going on in me? I mean, it's a very short, blunt, what is happening? And the Lord answers her with a prophetic word that says, Rebecca, in you are two nations, two peoples, one is stronger, and the old, the older one is going to serve the younger. Now, again, note, please, this prophetic word sets in place the fact that, that the Lord God completely disregards the, the traditional right of primogeniture. That means the firstborn is the one who inherits. Because we know that wasn't true with Seth. His brother Cain had been driven out. His brother Abel was dead. And Seth was the one. Thirdborn, he carries the line. Shem was not the firstborn. And he receives the blessing. Ishmael was the firstborn to, 
to Isaac, excuse me, to Abraham, and he does not receive the blessing. And lastly, you know, Jacob here is going to be secondborn. He's the second twin in the womb, and he receives the blessing. So the Lord is shaping and shifting families based upon the character of the individuals and those who carry the seed. Rebecca goes back, completes her pregnancy, and gives birth to twins. The first one born is named, she names Esau. He was first born, and when he came out of the womb, he was red. He was ruddy, and it says his body was covered like, like with a hairy garment. He was a hairy dude from birth, and probably a ginger, if you will. You know, someone who was reddish blonde kind of guy. His name means Esau. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not being cute about that. There's no etymological way to track what his name means. And later, he's just named Red because of the events of the rest of the chapter. The second twin is born immediately, and, and the hand of his baby brother, younger brother, Jacob, follows Esau out of the womb, clinging to the heel, gripping the heel of Esau's foot. Now, Yaakov, Jacob, was a very common Western Semitic name, and it means God protects, God blesses. Well, that, that's, that was what God hoped for out of Jacob. But there's a pun on that name. Instead of Yaakov, it's Yaakov. It's very close in Hebrew. There's just one little diacritical mark, one little boop, chicken scratch. And that name means heel grabber, supplanter, one who goes behind, one who is there to deceive, even betray. And honestly, for the next hundred years or so, that's what Jacob did. He wanted what God had, but he wanted it in his own way. And he, he, used the, he used his own wiles to try and accomplish what God was set, had set out to do. Didn't work real well. Now, we know from the text that Abraham lived 15 years after the birth of these twin babies. So Grandpa Abraham had the chance to hold them, walk with them, lift them up to heaven, dandle them on his knee, walk with them in the fields, sit next to them in, the, in Grandpa's tent, and hear the accounts, hear the stories of God's promises, and how your daddy got born, and what the battles were when he had to chase down the kings of the east, and how God protected him and kept his promises to Abraham. In Genesis 18, it says of Abraham, Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, this is the Lord speaking, I have chosen Abraham in order that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That's an amazing statement there, because that's exactly what Grandpa Abraham did. He trained up his grandsons, and then he went to glory. Now, as those boys, Esau and Jacob, grew to be men, Esau became a master hunter. He, he was a fieldsman. He was away from the camp, away from the business of the camp, away from the relationships of the camp. But he could bring home wild game anytime he felt like it. And Isaac loved him because Isaac loved the taste of the wild game that he brought in. Now, Jacob is described as a complete man. 
a quiet man, a peaceful man. And he, he says he dwelt in tents. Okay, What Jacob did was immerse himself in the family business, which was herding, shepherding. He, under, he came to understand breeding. He came to understand livestock management he, and how to make the contracts and how to work with the labor force and the, and the workers around the house. And he was an assistant, if you will, for a season for his, to his mom. He made things work around the house, around the, the tent city that was Isaac's camp. And in some sense, this complete man, this perfect man word, prefigures that the kings of Israel were going to be shepherds of a shepherd mentality. He would, they would shepherd the people Israel, and they would not be predators. Rebekah loved Jacob because of his quiet nature, because of his help, and she remembered what had been spoken, that the younger one would serve, would have power over the older one. The older would serve the younger. <clears throat> That's really the first evidence here in the text, that they, you have, uh, that the honeymoon's over, you have a divided family. There's going to be a breakdown in trust in this marriage between Rebecca and Isaac. And so the scene shifted. Here, here one day comes Esau out of the fields. And he is hungry. He's famished. His tank is on empty. And he follows his nose into the camp because he smells something delicious. And he, he walks in on Jacob. And Jacob has made a pot of lentil stew. And he demands immediately. No, no, there's no, hey, brother, how's it going? What's happening? He, he immediately says, give me a swallow of that red stuff. Now, in Isaac's camp, Isaac is still the patriarch here. Isaac's camp is a wealthy camp. He has flocks and herds and silver and servants and camels. And he's just a wealthy guy, okay? And he would have known how to greet and do business with the caravans that came through southern Canaan, up front through the Negev, and and to um, negotiate and buy the spices that were on those caravans. We know what the diet was of the ancient Near East. And so let me run a recipe by you of what I think Jacob had done that was so enticing to Esau. You, you take mutton fat, you know, rendered out of a piece of, of sheep, you mutton fat, and in that you, you begin to crisp onions and garlic. In there you drop the coriander, the ginger, and the cumin to get the spices to bloom. You crush up in your hands, you crush up some red chilies. There's your color. There's your heat. You know, a handful of salt. Some mutton stock. You know, you've boiled some, some lamb or some mutton stock. You pour that in on top of all this, this uh, fat, and then you pour in the lentils. Now, the diet of the ancient Near East didn't include a lot of meat. Meat was for celebrations. Meat was for weddings. Meat was for guests who came. And the rest of the time, people ate a lot. Maybe 20-30% of their diet was made up of beans and lentils. But you have to really season those to make them savory, to make them delicious. And that's exactly what, Joseph, excuse me, what Jacob had done. And so here comes Esau and he says, give me some of that. Jacob hears the demand, but the sense of the text is, 
His response is a predetermined answer. He had waited his chance. He's ready to brace Esau with the question. He says, sure, here's supper. First, you sell me your birthright. So what's a birthright? The birthright in those ancient families meant you inherited the name of the family and the title. And you got a double portion of the inheritance. Now in the household of Esau and Jacob, as those who are going to be inheritors, there's one portion for Esau, there's one portion for Jacob. If Esau gets the birthright, he gets two portions, the double portion, and that means Jacob gets nothing. That didn't sit well, I don't think, with Jacob. Okay? Again, you become head of the family. You oversee contracts and marriages for other family members. You know, you tend to the family business. You try to increase the wealth and influence of the family. Lastly, you receive God's blessing. And you lead the family regularly in worship of God Most High. Esau had chosen to distance himself from the camp and distance himself in such a way that he was just living for the now. Jacob, on the other hand, had engaged himself with the family business and with the camp and with the needs and with what was coming, and he became a man who was living for the future. When Jacob says... Sell me your birthright. Esau's response is instant. What use is a birthright when I'm about to die? Now that's hyperbole. He wasn't going to die on the spot of hunger. He would get fed somewhere else in the camp. Okay, But he had his eye on that pot of, of uh, spicy lentils that smelled fabulous. And he, But being a man who lives for the moment and a man who is ruled by his belly, he has been enticed away from life in God's presence. Now you remember, Adam ate and sinned. Noah drank and and opened a door for the sin of his youngest son, Ham. And now Isaac loves the taste of wild game. So what you have here is a family, uh, familial, a generational vulnerability. And it's one that comes down on us as well. You'll, You'll see it run through family lines where... You know, for us, it's living in the now. It's all about self-pleasing. I'm going to get what I want right now. Now, the New Testament says that's bios living, B-I-O-S. It's the base for the word biology. It's bedroom, bathroom, kitchen. It's base living. And it's worst. It's animalistic. And But that's the man Esau right there. To make this deal go forward, Jacob requires a vow. And as a toss-off, Esau says, I'll make a vow here. Here it is. Okay? And in contrast to the bios that he's experiencing, what Jesus talked about in the New Testament was zoe living. Zoe is, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. Life that's full of the kingdom values and kingdom resources. The presence of God. You become a son and a daughter to the king. And then all else 
is added to you. Everything else comes to you after that. Okay, Esau just goes, nah, give me that spot, pot of stew. He swears, he gets a pot of stew, and what follows is the staccato language. It says he got stew and bread and something to drink. He ate, he drank, he rose, he left. He's out of the house. He's gone. He thinks nothing about what he just did. And at the end of the chapter, it says, Esau despised his birthright. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says, Jacob and Esau were both blessed according to things in the Spirit. Now, we know that that Jacob received the firstborn's blessing. And then Esau comes in and says, oh, I need a blessing too. And the blessing he received was, you're going to go out to the desert and it's going to be a bad life. It wasn't much of a blessing. It was a curse. Okay? And then he turned the page over to chapter 12. It says this in the four, four verses here. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. He despised his birthright, and when he really wanted wanted the benefits of that, you know, it was unavailable to him. It was done. Now, remember we talked about the contrast between what God does and what the enemy does. The enemy is designed to divert, to disqualify, and to destroy the seed and those who bear the seed. Okay? As the firstborn, you know, that might have been true, but God had already given a word that says, not that one, it's going to be the younger one. Okay? But in the body of Christ, we have to understand we have a vast inheritance that has been passed to us because we are co-heirs with Christ. And he inherited everything from the Father. We have the Holy Spirit as a down payment of that, uh, that inheritance. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies now. So we have access. We can have access to heaven. We can bring, come into God's presence and say, oh, Lord God. How I love you and long to serve you. You have access to the war, the storehouses of heaven. Lord, I'm praying for this person and he needs a new spleen because he has diabetes. And it comes from heaven. And we have a kingdom destiny to walk out. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, this problem of self-pleasing, of living for the now, living like, uh, like Esau, is all over us in the Western church. And you can see the results. You see it from the results. You see an immense obesity rate in the church, which results additionally in diabetes, heart disease, kidney failure, liver disease, etc. Okay? Because people have lived for the now. Second issue, you know, you look at you look at the signs and the symptoms, debt ratios. People in church carry immense debt loads. And they don't understand that that was not God's plan. 
but they live for the now. Well, I needed a vacation. Well, I had to pay for I had to pay for this education so I could get a good job. I had to do this, I had to do that, and so I took the debt and I didn't think anything of it. But they are now enslaved to that debt. Because their choice was, I'm gonna do it now. And then and another example might be the eschatology. Eschatology is the the doctrine, if you will, the teaching about end times things. And so when things get bad and things get awful, and they do periodically in parts of the world and sometimes even in America, the body of Christ cries out and says, Oh, Jesus, please come back now. Please take this load off of us now. Come, gather us to yourself. Take us off the earth. I'm done. And essentially, it's, it's in direct contrast to the eschatology of extending the kingdom of God with the rule of the king and the resources of the king and the relationship with the king into every corner of earth, into every sphere of influence of earth. One has a great uh, expectation of God's going to come and get me, but they stop their evangelism because, hey, we're going to the Lord, and so all they can preach is doom and gloom. On the other side, the eschatology of the kingdom says, you need to be part of this move of God because it's going to take over the earth. Come, be part of what Jesus is doing. And to be part of the kingdom, you need to be his son. And here's how you do that. It's almost as if we're faced with the kind of choice that, that Joshua laid before the people of Israel where he said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're going to choose to live for the future, not for the now. So, Lord Jesus, we ask you please that in this podcast is the Word of God and Holy Spirit so that we learn to receive blessings and practice them inside of us and then, Lord, we get ready to give them away. We get ready to reproduce those blessings in someone else. All right, Forge, have a blessed week. Walk with Jesus. Amen.